As a chef, I knew the food was good. I had this confidence and a little bit of swagger like, yo, you're going to eat this shit and love it. You either take it or you leave it. And so there was this weird energy happening, and I knew that we hit something at that moment because everyone was engaged. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. That was Cassie with her quote from this week's guests, Adam Weissman and Roy Choi. It's a two-for-one Black Friday holiday special. Hope you like it. Adam Weissman is the art director from Stussy, designing all those fresh T-shirts in your closet. He's also a member of the band Pollen, kind of a trippy, ambient dance music, uh, interesting act. Check it out online. I think it's wearepollen.com. And uh, Roy Choi is a chef from the Kogi truck, which has kind of revolutionized the food truck industry, food maybe food in America, period. Um, Kogi truck kind of set it off here in Los Angeles, and now food trucks are a thing in pretty much every city in America. But those guys made it happen. Roy is also the chef at the Line Hotel, the Alibi Room, A-Frame, Chago. All over Los Angeles, you can eat this dude's food. And um, he's also the host of CNN's Street Food, which he collaborated with Adam on. Uh, Adam did the, the artwork for it. And uh, Roy is also the founder of a new fast food venture called Local that he's going to talk about in the show a little bit, but it's definitely going to re revolutionize fast food as well. So we get into the interview. We got some good lessons on using social media to build your brand. If you, uh, if you follow the Kogi truck at all, you know that that was a brand really built in social media as well as out in the streets. Uh, we hear a little bit about what it was like the first day on the truck. And we'll get into some more about just what it takes to be creative and to fight the pressures of success. Before we do, though, let's hear this week's EDM.com track of the week. Chin check, you pin heads with no delivery. What makes you think you zealous me? My flow with birth to century. I've been wrecking them season. I've since stepped to the scene with the request to redeem a palm threat to get embassy. Get sex begin sticking me with stingers, giving me bloody bowling like symptoms would seem to be lingering. Fingers bleed from the tips. Chickens be fiending for dick and it's peachy. Please believe I leave the evil within. The girth of my words is certain. Peaky your skin for me to get in touch. Regard, there's no need to repent. I'm leaving and dead inside of it. Drums, I fit none. Rap is a cop to quit none. So spun around. Okay, that was Robot Orchestra with a track called Divine Elegance as our EDM.com track of the week. If you like it, hit us up on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. If you didn't like it, tell somebody else. We're also, I'm, I'm excited to announce the launch of the Rebel Radio Facebook page. You can find us on Facebook. I don't know the URL, but just search for Rebel Radio and see if you can find us. And of course, as always, Rebel Radio is on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Dash Radio on Thursdays at 6. Coming up in two weeks, we will be moving to Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific. So watch for that. And now let's get into the interview. Nice. Well, thanks for being here. I appreciate mm -hmm. you guys making time. I've been trying to get, uh, I've been talking to Adam about this for a while. Mm -hmm. Tennis. Adam. We play tennis on Saturdays. Oh, a lot of tennis players listen to this show. It's amazing. So uh, Adam Weissman, 
I've known since he was a wee lad, probably, I think still in high school. Definitely still Definitely in high still school. in high probably school. Probably like 15, 16. That's right. 16, and he was... Yeah. Um, not driving yet, I think. Uh, probably not. I think Mike was driving. Probably not. Mike was driving mm. before I was driving. I've heard some of the stories of him and Mike. Yeah. Yeah, and back easy. in the day. Yeah, yeah. So I met those <laughs> yeah, guys at the same time. And, uh, you know, they were a couple nervous Jewish hip-hop kids. Yeah. And... Um, you know, part of a interesting generation, I think, at the time when when hip hop was really expanding into, uh, you know, hadn't gone like fully mainstream, but yet, you know, people that were maybe not the prototypical hip hop audience were discovering it. And then just to do the introduction, so now you are, um, I'm the art director for Stussy. Okay. And I've kind of been doing that for a while. Um, I've been at Stussy almost. A decade and we're all wearing stussy gear today yeah in tribute to you yes thank you (laughs) um that was yeah so that was the shirt that you're wearing was like one of the first projects that like my big project i Uh guess that um i was always around when you when you first yeah that was like 2000 no well even before that so this is the world tour yeah yeah and this this one's done by brent rollins who uh was the first graphic designer i ever worked with hmm. back we went to college together he did the boys in the hood logo yeah and um i think yeah. mo better blues mo better blues was like yeah yeah a young a young mm-hmm. man still in college well. yeah yeah um but yeah that was like the first i was always around you know i worked at the shop i was mm-hmm. always a big stussy fan and then um uh i started doing just stuff um local for like the la shop and mm-hmm. Started reaching out to artists because I'm always into art. Um, and then the world tour thing kind of came about as like an idea of, oh, I'm going to get, you know, five artists to do it. And then it sort of ballooned into 40. And nice. I worked, you know, with the mm-hmm. creative director and we sort of planned out what, what was going to happen in the year. And it became this like giant thing. And we did art shows in L.A., I think just LA and Tokyo mm. and then we did screenings I did a documentary with some of the artists where I just traveled around and did these little five minute interviews with them um, and that screened LA New York London Tokyo Paris and then like some other like random cities around the world I'm sure some are in Italy um, well what, one of the things I like about you is you are you're just a busy dude Mm-hmm. Here, so on top of that day job, yeah, you're also I, directing videos. Yeah, I just I try to band? be creative as possible. So yeah, um, I don't know. I sort of like float around a bunch of different areas. I do some music, I do some film, I do some design. Um, but I think you know a lot of it. You know, even Stussy, it all kind of came from hip hop when you met me. Like mm-hmm. I think. I think those years were very special for like the culture because it wasn't mainstream yet. It was something you had to search out. You had to be knowledgeable. It had to be authentic. It's all the stuff that like isn't there anymore where it's now like super accessible and being authentic doesn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. So I think back then I think everything I I've learned about art style came out of hip-hop or came out of films also but like i think culturally um it's definitely hip-hop it was the magazines the music it was looking up to rappers it was looking at artwork that like 
you know, people did for covers and trying to figure out like who did it. And, you know, I think that also carried over to Moax in like, like the nineties when I, when all of a sudden like hip hop changed and then I sort of switched over to that kind of stuff. And they were doing that. They were taking the idea of, you know, you like, always talk about his favorite era, mm-hmm. Ja Rule, Big Pun, <laughs> uh, DMX, Murder Inc. Yeah, that's Storm. That's, yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like I learned all of that from there. At least that's where it started. That was like the seed. Right. Was like the golden era of hip hop. And I haven't been able to get away from that. But that was also when Stussy was like, was, was starting. That was. Uh, they were around and mm-hmm. they were they were big mm-hmm. and it was part of the culture and no one was making hip hop gear yet. Right. So it was, you know, it was like you wore Stussy, you'd wear Levi's, you'd you'd mix you'd mix mm-hmm. and match other brands that were like sort of traditional brands with like some stuff that like you had to like search out to get. Which is goes back to like if you have to search out to get it, like you knew what was up. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. So definitely. Well, and so it's fitting that we have you here, Chef, because, um, you know, you're known as the, the chef of the Kogi truck. Yes. And now many, many restaurants, a long list of successful Los Angeles restaurants. Um, and an author, we have the book L.A. Sun mm-hmm. here. Uh, but, you know, you, you stand out to me as, as what I think of as the first hip-hop chef. Um, yeah, maybe I would say so. I, uh, I definitely don't wear it on my chest, and maybe that's what makes me hip hop. You know, mm-hmm. it's not something I, I'm not like that, like Thug Kitchen or that shit. That right. shit. You yeah. know, like, uh, you know, I don't like profess it. I don't like use it or throw it around. I just live it, mm-hmm. and breathe it. You know, so. But I think that comes yeah. across. I mean, mm-hmm. and it, you know, I, I heard Jay Z say, say something before he was the Jay Z that he is today mm-hmm. about, um, you know, you could be in a suit and still be hip hop. Because it's yeah. there's there's an essence there's something about you that other people that get it are gonna get it mm-hmm. and I felt that the first time that I saw an image of you the first time I saw the truck period yeah. you know you look around and I grew up uh, uh, I used to spend summers down here in L.A. Mm-hmm. working for my grandfather in East L.A. and it was uh, we would always eat off the food trucks yeah. at lunch but they were plain white trucks mm-hmm. you know serving tacos burritos burgers. And it, you know it's basically the same menu on every truck, mm-hmm. and uh, but that was that's always been part of LA culture. Yeah, since the fifties. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, but Kogi came along. Yeah. And really changed that game. And we came from that exact culture. Our trucks mm-hmm. come from those white truck lots, and yeah. from the families and the generations and the people. And we walked in, and um, I don't know. It's like it's like one of those things where you were almost. It was almost like there waiting for you. You almost as if you've almost lived it before in another life. Like as mm-hmm. soon as we walked on the lot, it was basically um, a Filipino dude and three Koreans. We walked on the lot, but they looked at us like we were part of the family. Yeah. And that's where I got my name Poppy. They just started calling me Poppy from day one because I was running around working with my head down. And all the ladies were just calling me Poppy and just like, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> they're, just, they're smiling. <laughs> but um, but yeah, uh, we came from that. So. Yeah. But then, you know, we we definitely brought something. I think our roots come from that. And then I always equate it to like we were we are the children of them, mm-hmm. of those original trucks. Uh, we're not a new version. We're not, um, you know, we weren't 
this this you know intruder or this new thing were the children that grew up and now this is how we express ourselves and um and it doesn't matter you know the fact that we weren't mexican or weren't el salvadorian or that we are korean or that we are doesn't matter about race mm-hmm. because it was from la so mm-hmm. to me the race was la and then we were the children of that culture and um so when we expressed ourselves it just came out naturally yeah. but the difference is we had technology and we were young mm-hmm. you know so but i think mm-hmm. i think part of it which makes it you know when just says like hip-hop mm-hmm. when the truck first came out yeah. you had to find it yeah. You, oh, had you, like, had you had to like you had to like make Absolutely. an effort. It's not yeah. like you just rolled up at this like you had to know where to go. Mm-hmm. You had to be in on this like LA secret. Yep. Um and I think that that makes it more special when people do find it and they they feel like they're up on something that like not everyone is yeah. and it's theirs. And I mean I'm a, definitely yeah, I'm definitely aware of that, but it's hard for me sometimes to, to really you know comprehend all that because i was on the inside of it right so yeah so as a hip-hop you know person i i I understand how it was alluring and it it attracted heads as far as like searching it out and um i'm proud of that you know Mm -hmm. but then um on the flip side of that on the inside i was i was again another layer of hip-hop i was just we were just expressing ourselves raw in a raw way all the way and um so for us it's almost just being who we are and being a little bit, uh, you know, I don't know, brash, I guess. And, mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, doing the way things the way we wanted to do it ended up being just naturally hip hop. Sure. You know? so, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what happens, right? It's just yeah. an expression of who you are. You also say it's punk rock, too. Yeah, it's, it's very punk. DIY. Yeah. Like you're going to definitely you wanted to create something that yeah. wasn't there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw Jay. I, I saw Jay-Z early, early before like 96 mm-hmm. I, I want to say 95 96 when i was cooking in new york west fourth street courts in new york mm-hmm. beat up fucking jaguar like had to be like a late 80s jaguar but he but you could tell he was gonna he was a star really, mm-hmm. you know like you could tell like he was just and i just walked by him i just looked at him i, I didn't know who he was but i just like gave him a what up he gave me a what up and that was it and then yeah. like after that you know i'll always remember that moment you know yeah that's cool How'd you know that mm-hmm. you could that you could cook? Uh, I found out there were there were clues to it uh, in high school. I was really good at milkshakes, mm. and uh, <laughs> and I was me and my friend Ryan, uh, who's in the book. You know, uh-huh. he passed away, but uh, we used to have this dessert where we would take soft melted pralines and cream ice cream from Baskin Robbins, and then Frosted Flakes, and then pour just the right amount of milk. So I knew I had like a little bit of a thing to it because i was very anal about like the levels Mm -hmm. you know and um and then and then the temperature and we were talking about this tea this tea was too hot today i was very it's always too hot yeah it's always too hot people people don't know how to make tea um but i was very anal about these things even though i didn't know why i was being anal about them yet so Mm -hmm. i I think at that as i look back i think those were stepping stones where i knew i i was good at something um i worked in restaurants all throughout high school i grew up in a in a Korean kitchen, um, in a restaurant. But at that time I was young, I was only like eight, nine, seven, mm-hmm. ten, And, um, I didn't know I was good, but I would say the milkshake and the ice cream was when I first knew. Um, but then when I really knew was when I hit rock bottom and went to started kind of, when I had kind of my epiphany with Emerald. And then I, I went to a night school here on Robertson for cooking and, um, and then went to CIA and then went to New York and kind of knocked on back doors. And 
at that point, and it was around mid nineties, like mm-hmm. ninety six, is when I really knew that this was my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you talk about hitting rock bottom, and and I know you you know you've talked mm-hmm. uh, you know about going through some shit as as a young man. Oh yeah. Um, how much of that is how important is that experience to to your life and your business now? I mean, it's everything. Uh, it because Kogi allowed me to fully uh, realize that as an artist, I guess you know. And um, even though I don't sing or draw, mm-hmm. um, the way that I cook is my expression, and um, I'm able to channel those connections and those feelings, and a lot of those moments, um, and be able, and then just like maybe a musician. I have people and followers who who relate to those things and those and then the food or the way that we express it or the stories that I put behind the dishes um, affect them in many ways because I've been through it and mm-hmm. uh, maybe they're going through it right now or they've gone through it or maybe they're about to go through it and so uh, that's definitely definitely everything about my food um, but before Kogi you know I was living a normal life mm-hmm. to be honest like I I had a really rocky like you know like a lot of addictions gambling and drugs and trying to figure this shit out in la you know and like la in the 80s and 90s was a lot different than it is now as y'all as you both know and you know it's um there's a lot of tough guy exterior stuff and you know just trying to figure things out and uh um and then after all that i tried to you know what people don't realize about people with addictions is like especially when they say oh just have a drink right they don't realize just having one drink will take you down sure. all the way or they don't realize that when you live this really kind of manic life that all you search for sometimes is the most simple things like just having a family or just going to the market or just going to the movie and having some sort of structure you know um so for me it was i'd lived such a weird life you know being an immigrant moving around all the time having these addictions dealing with the pressures of my family my both my parents also having their own kind of demons and their addictions and all these things so when I finally had a lane I just wanted to be like a regular like salary man that's mm-hmm. all that was like my dream in life and I had it and um so when I had it, I, I I didn't know how to express these things I was feeling I just was trying to have a regular job um but when Kogi happened, it just tipped everything over. So, yeah. What was the first? What was the first day on the truck like? First day on the truck, uh, oh, it was nice. It was the day Twilight came out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was uh, November twentieth, or right the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, really cold. It was foggy. Uh, we went out at midnight. We started at midnight, right around the corner from here, actually. Yeah. I was around the corner from here that same day. Yeah, you were? Yeah, I remember we, my wife mm-hmm. dragged me to see Twilight. You were oh, <laughs> yeah, Twilight. and she was pregnant at, at with the dome. Ava at the dome. At the dome. Yeah. We were on Ivar. Yeah, we went at like 8 o'clock or whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you were we, channeling my energy yeah. at that time. Um, we uh, So the first night, um, we prepped... Uh, I remember everything. Thank you for this question. Um, Kanye, we had Kanye's, we had only one CD. It was Kanye's mm-hmm. 808. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a little boom box. Uh, all, all I can remember is Kanye playing over and over and over that night. It's amazing. I'm a monster. I'm a maven. I know this world is changing. Never gave in. Never gave up. I'm the only thing. And it was it was 
Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Twilight was out. Our first stop, we thought we were going to go. We, we parked in front of the Abbey on Robertson because um, at that time, Pinkberry had just blown up, mm. right? And we we're like, and the one in WeHo, you know, where mm-hmm. everyone gets parking tickets and all mm-hmm. that stuff. We're like, ah, they know what's up over in West Hollywood. We're going to park there and we're going to be a fucking instant success. And then we got kicked out in like a second. Sure. Literally, we opened up on Abbey and like everyone came out and we're just like, they kicked us out. So we're driving and then we're just think we're just thinking like where do we go where do we go and then my partners uh there was a club called uh cabana and green door mm-hmm. on ivar right mm-hmm. next to amoeba and they're like we know the bouncers at cabana i mean like let's feed the, the our whole game plan was let's feed the bouncers they won't kick us out we'll keep them fed and we'll wait for everyone to come out so that was our plan so then we rolled up and um it was cold foggy uh we had all the twilight people probably adam just coming out of the theater (laughs) (laughs) we were we were parking and then we fed the bouncers they loved it and then um and then we were nervous i mean we were so nervous um and uh and there was nothing and then right at like about 130 145 everyone came out of the club and they just hit our truck Mm -hmm. it was crazy and um uh they loved it they really really loved it we weren't really we didn't really figure out twitter at that time yet um, and we kept going back to the club, but um, but they loved it, and so that was the first night. So you knew from right then, like you you had. Something. Well, we knew that we had, yeah, we knew that. Uh, you know, Mike D equates it to like the first time someone plugged in, you know, a radio to a lamppost. Mm-hmm. You know, hip hop, like, yeah. like you know, we knew like we were we were kind of moving the crowd from the moment we saw. We didn't know what it was, mm-hmm. and we didn't know why it was and we didn't know what we were going to do next but we just knew in that moment that um something was happening because i re- I recall exactly why um for me as a chef i knew that the food was good mm-hmm. you know and i knew and i had this confidence and a l- little bit of a swagger like yo you're gonna eat this shit and you're gonna love it right so that was kind of my like perspective and you in no substitutions and i don't want to hear nothing you know you either take it or you leave right. it you know so there was that but then as i saw them eating it that was my sensitive side was get, picking up on all of these like little sound bites and emotions and feelings and like um you know i could see guys like whistling over their friends mm-hmm. and i could hear jokes like what the fucking asians doing up in the truck mm-hmm. everyone curious you know and then um and then you know you saw like the queen bees and like the 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 big th- you know bigger dudes like calling the girls over and saying i'm gonna buy everybody over here a taco right here <laughs> Um, but that whole that whole group of that, I got them I got them over there and so there was all yeah. this like weird energy happening and I knew that we hit something mm-hmm. at that moment because um, because everyone was kind of like engaged mm-hmm. you know I mean? it was like a second club yeah. what was on the menu uh, it was just tacos and burritos just short rib tacos yeah just short rib tacos short one. rib no four tacos and four burritos mm. And then all the stuff you see now, like the quesadillas and the sliders and those things, those became those were specials we were working out that ended up becoming like cult favorites. Yeah, yeah. By the way, my wife says thank you for the kimchi quesadillas. Oh yeah, that was our first special. Yeah, uh, that happened on a night while we were waiting for the club to get out. I was mm-hmm. just bored and we were messing around. Well, hearing you talk about that reminds me, you know, a lot of uh, the DJs that we've had on this show talk about mm-hmm. reading the room and really feeding off that energy. Yeah, and having, you know, knowing what you want to play. Or what you want to create, but at the same time, yeah. being sensitive to what's going on out there. So, um, yeah. Adam, I want to. Uh, I know you start out as a DJ as well. 
I'm really good at reading a room. Yeah, uh, he's known to clear dance floors. Is that right? Yeah, I don't think I've ever. He, he's good. He's good in a room of music nerds. Okay, like, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah I would but, imagine that. Yeah. So, yeah. so my question is, uh, Adam, how do you, um, how do you apply that DJ thinking to the the creativity, the art that you do now? Um. Well. Like I do clear dance floors because <laughs> I play what I want. I I typically just do what I like. Yeah. So I sort of put myself in. If I was sixteen, would I like this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least like with a lot of like stuff that's made for clothing. Yeah. Um, because back then, if it was fresh, you had to go out of your way to get it. Mm-hmm. So I sort of think about that. I I try to I try to trust my instinct, which is what you should do with everything um i try not to think overthink it even though i'm really good at that um but i just try to do what what feels right yeah the sort of what i try to do with everything i sure. i create if it feels right cool if it doesn't throw it away right start again do something else well it's interesting to think about the contrast kind of of your two businesses where if if what you're doing doesn't feel right, you're going to find out right away. Yes. And, you know, in your case, it could take, you know, a long time or it, or it may never even be totally obvious. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you Whether look a, back years and be like, whoa, like. Sure. I should have made that graphic smaller. or I should have right. taken out those keyboards from that song. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That happens. Yeah, of course. But. Yeah. But the good ones, like you, you could still see it and. Like, all right, that's what I like fresh. about his art is, um, especially on the t shirts, is it's not just a graphic. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, it's like he gets it's all very you could see Adam in a lot of it, you know. It's like he gets he, he gets interested in something and then researches it all the way, yeah. And then, and then, um, when you see it, it kind of repre- represents it, it's not he didn't just slap it on the shirt, it's like something that really he's traveled through and then this is how he's expressing it mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and that's really nice and I think he does that with his music and uh, I just saw I've seen him clear like three floors though. is that right but the most recent <laughs> one was great it was the union party oh I uh, don't know fourth of July fourth yeah. of July party everyone was just like I mean literally twerking and just like just the guy free, free, before freaking, me yeah. the guy who before me played for three hours and he oh, was wow. playing like Red All Red hits. Wine and yeah. PM Dawn uh-huh. and then they were like, All right, you're gonna like you'll just you'll close out. Right. Yeah. And I was like, All right. I like got in an Uber. We were I was not <laughs> at the party. Uh-huh. I got in an Uber from the valley where we were at people's house with our kids. <laughs> I brought my I brought my stuff there and I was like, All right, I'm gonna DJ for an hour. Yeah. And every time I DJ I have in my head that like, oh I'm gonna play all this stuff that like no one's hurt, but they're gonna love it. And I do that, and it, so no one. It's loved all it. bikinis on dance, with everyone freaking <laughs> yeah. dancing, and he gets on, and they all <laughs> clear. Like, and the, there's like two nerdy dudes being like, bobbing <laughs> <laughs> their head. And and like those, my, those are Adam's people. My yeah. nerdiest friend came up yeah. to me and was like, was like, "Hey, people don't like what you're playing." And I was like, "Thank you." <laughs> someone's he's like, I overheard someone say, "I have better music." on my phone oh wow yeah and i wasn't playing bad stuff i was playing like fela and talking heads and Uh you know not nothing like so obscure that was you know it's all good music Him go bend the ash, him go shit. Him go come out away from him shit. Him shit go be the last way him go like to see. Because why you? 
How'd you start DJing? Um, I had a, my grandfather was remarried and his wife had a niece and nephew who grew up in, I think, East LA and they came to live with them to go to uni high. Mm. Um, and the older niece was in a DJ crew from like East LA so she had turntables set up at my grandfather's house. Nice. And I would go in, and she sort of showed me, like, what she was doing. And I was, you know, I was already into hip-hop. But uh, the idea of, like, mixing two things together, like two yeah. records, and yeah, yeah. making something new was always exciting. And I sort of do that with a lot of stuff today. So what was your introduction to hip-hop? Probably run dmc and beastie boys mm -hmm. like i remember like my my grandfather's nephew who was there um i think he went to warner first but he was like yo there's this group called de la soul they have this song called me myself and i you should find it because mm -hmm. i was listening to like slick rick okay you know like children's story you know i remember buying that y'all tucked in here we go. Once upon a time, not long ago, when people wore pajamas and lived life slow, where laws were stern and justice stood, and people were behaving like they ought to good, there lived a little boy who was misled by another little boy, and this is what he said. Me and you tonight, we're gonna make some cash, robbing old folks and making the dash. You know, I remember buying Paul's Boutique and thinking it was, like, super weird and was yeah. not into it at all at the time. Um, Do you remember your first purchase? Uh, it's probably tougher than leather, mm. or or license to ill. Um, I was always into music, but um, hip hop. I don't even remember what the. But it was probably Run DMC. That's how, you know, that's how it came through. Mm -hmm. um, right? Do you remember? Yeah, I, you it's buy? definitely Run DMC. Yeah. I mean, um, it was. It's like that. I still remember the first time I, my friend put the needle on the record. Um, I just moved to Orange County from LA. Mm -hmm. and it's funny, like I, you know, I, I should have heard it in LA first, but I moved to the suburbs, and then that was the first time I hear hip hop. But I, I remember, I, I remember the needle hitting it. I was just like, "Whoa!" Just <laughs> <was> like <laughs> it blew me the fuck away. I was, yeah, you know. And then I just, you know, the rabbit hole never ended from there. And it got an iced tea, and you know, it was crazy. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. like you know, uh, Yo MTV Raps was like such a big. Yeah. part of spreading like hip-hop and the culture um yeah just because you could turn on the tv after school mm -hmm. yep. and you could see what is new and fresh and then you'd write it down and go to i would call like music plus on beverly drive and mm -hmm. like the warehouse on at the beverly connection and mm -hmm. like tower and just try to find these things that i just saw yeah. and then i'd have them hold it and then i'd try to get my parents to come drive me mm -hmm. yeah not to sound like a couple old dudes but that was so amazing you know yeah. like you would wait all day and you'd yeah, run yeah. home you know and and you know and then and the radio stations k-day and you'd wait for the song to come on and just press record and make your mixtapes and mm -hmm. um you yeah, know, and that was my, a big deal and saturday nights like i remember on like power 106 they'd have like djs actually like spinning mm -hmm. and they would do these like they i don't remember what they were but they I guess like uh, like DJ clubs would press up like 
like mega mixes oh, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they those uh, and those with like four records on top of each other, you know, like yep. like you know all mixed together and that kind of stuff. Like I remember taping, you know, as like a little kid, like off off the radio for like mixes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I was never able to track them down because I didn't even know like you, they didn't have them at the regular record stores. Right. Um, it wasn't until someone had a license and we could go to Melrose to like street sounds and like beat nonstop. And then all of a sudden that like opened a whole other yeah, of door of like hearing stuff. Q- hearing Qbert for the first time was a big deal for me, too. Mm. That was a big moment in hip hop for me, too. Like then I started getting into DJs mm-hmm. um, a lot. But um, yeah, I mean, Run DMC, definitely seeing Qbert for the first time, you know, like this shit was crazy. Do you ever DJ? I was the guy who held the records. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was. I was always a wingman. I, yeah. I was. I, I was never good. I was around culture. The culture my whole life. Like I grew up here in K Town. Mm-hmm. Then at thirteen, my parents hit hit it big. We moved to Orange County, the city of Orange. Um, we lived in kind of kind of a, a good pad, not like on the hills, but at the bottom of the hills. But right at the border was the city of Orange and Santa Ana, which was you know a lot of stuff going down and. Uh, so I was hanging out with a b- bunch of crews, bunch of graffiti artists, bunch of break dancers, bunch of b-boys, bunch of DJs, and um, we had our own crew going. And um, but you know, so I was around it, and I had every opportunity. But I just, you know, my destiny was to cook. I just mm-hmm. never could do it. So I was always like the homie, mm-hmm. you know, like skateboarding, b-boying. You know, I was the dude that always smoked weed. That just hung out. And I was always a homie. If there was a fight, I was the first one to jump in. You know, you know, if you needed someone to help, you know, transport your records. You know, every 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 crew, every neighborhood has that dude. Mm-hmm. And I was that dude mm-hmm. for so many years. Like, um, I, I was like the hype man without the microphone. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, and so I, w- I would always set up my guy. My my DJ, his name is Carlos. He went by Celos, and we'd always uh, I'd always you know set it up with him, and um, and uh, we were part of a crew. Uh, LOD Legion of Doom. Mm. <laughs> so he had funky flavors. I had Legion of Doom, <laughs> them corny ass names. <laughs> we did one That's performance did. though at uh, the World Nightclub at the bottom of the Beverly Center. Remember that club? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And um, but uh, yeah, I would o- I would always I uh, set up and we did a bunch of college gigs and um, and I was just that dude. So um, but I was around it for sure. Well, I think we're probably glad you didn't become yeah. a DJ. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about, you, you know, you guys have talked about this this issue of discovery, right, which I think for all of us and for, for hip-hop was really important. Um, and so, you know, Kogi Truck happened at the same time mm-hmm. that Twitter was really starting to blow up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think as much of, um, you know, as much as anything, I think of Kogi as the social media truck. That, you know, the food was great. It was, I think you were doing, excuse me, really interesting things in the kitchen. But it was also like, you know, at this time when Mm -hmm. people were discovering things all of a sudden for the first time in a new way. And you became really synonymous with that here. Um, How, I guess my question is, first of all, do you think that can happen today? Um, Yeah, I mean, you got Snap you know which is big you mm-hmm. know um you know things definitely go viral still you know it's just it's so saturated you know no one's doing sometimes no one's doing anything original you know and you just it's just so saturated yeah you know with naked pictures and the shit you know fucking yeah. selfies and all this shit all this fucking trash 
you know, that um, nothing is coming through, but something will, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, um, but. So, uh, so what did you guys know that everyone else didn't know about how to do that? I, I would say uh, it's innocence. It's it's purity and innocence and, um, you know, it's truly that kind of stand by me, you know, walking down the railroad track looking for a dead body thing, you know, it's just. There was no uh, agenda. There was no. There was no like we weren't looking for followers. We weren't looking for attention. Mm-hmm. We, we were. We just stumbled upon this thing and we were messing around with it. And I think because of that, um, that was very powerful. Uh, Kogi is also a collective, mm-hmm. so it wasn't just my voice. It, you know, it's like Wu Tang. You know, right. it's this collective of of people that all brought their individual talents together, and um, that synergy. You know, like a band, um, that synergy, we were expressing something very beautiful at that time, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, and then some of us within that band, you know, had a lot of experience. You know, I had a lot of experience cooking. So I was putting this experience into a new expression, um, but it had depth to it. People could feel that, um, you know, we had a, we had a great person behind the Twitter and our blogs expressing herself, um, you know, we had photos we had just we had the full we had the full package and um but uh to me i think it's just the innocence it's the innocence of of that moment and i don't think you could have recreated it um you know i hope it happens again with something else you Mm -hmm. know but uh you know kogi was a a one-of-a-kind in 2008 at that time you know the economy was crashing um worlds were colliding as far as like you know, you got to remember, like, people didn't even have iPhones at that mm-hmm. time. You know what I mean? Like, well, uh, you know. It's you hard ba- to imagine. It's hard to imagine, right? Like, you barely, barely could get an iPhone at that right. time. It was like the iPhone 1. Yeah, yeah, it was the iPhone 1, <laughs> and you barely could afford that. When we started, we were sharing a BlackBerry, mm-hmm. you know, back and forth. And then, you know, our person on Twitter was, was Alice, who was doing it in Brooklyn in New York because she was at graduate school. So we would text her, and then she would do that out. So it was this... It was this moment in time that was, you know, very raw and very pure, very much like hip hop, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, and, uh, and that purity created something. Um, yeah, I don't know, you know, and to say, will it happen again? I hope it does again, like I said, it'll, but, uh, it'll happen somewhere else. It'll happen you somewhere know, else like, in something, but Kogi mm-hmm. was the hip hop of food. It sure. happened, you know, so you can't like take it away from that. And, and you can't recreate it. it. It is what it is now. Where it goes from here is up to wherever Co- it goes. Cookie you know? is like the Run DMC of, of like, yeah, like because it's yeah. classic. Yeah. Like there's still lines like on like yeah. on Sunday or Saturdays. I'll text you sometimes mm-hmm. and I'll be like, oh, "Are you going to be on Abbott Kinney?" Yeah, because there's like 200 people in line mm-hmm. like waiting. Yeah, I see. You know, yeah. it's like it hasn't it hasn't died down. There's still like it's still this classic thing. That you could really only get. Yeah, it, it's like an amalgamation of Run DMC and a little bit of like Woo and Beasties and and then like some of the new newer kids too because like it it has the roots and the respect and and the classic, but it keeps evolving yeah. it, and it's still fresh and new. You know, it's not like it's not like on a reunion tour at a at a bingo casino. You know, it's like it it's right. still like yeah, sure. it's still like packing houses headlining coachella you know and it's like is, is it still but innocent? still like eight years later yeah for sure it is yeah that's why we're small yeah. you know um 
we're only four trucks, uh, only Los Angeles and Orange County. Mm -hmm. um, still a family-run company. Uh, yeah, still f for sure. It's um, so it, how do you? It's how still do you... pure, but but that but uh, innocence not the right word. It's still very pure, mm -hmm. and that purity is it, it, it went from innocent to where we've actually now uh, fought for that purity. We fought to protect it. Yeah, and to so, evolve it. Yeah, tell us about that fight. Um, well, we've been, uh, you know, Kogi, obviously, phenomenon, boom, written about everywhere, lines out the door. Then that brings vultures, right? Then uh, venture capitalists, mm -hmm. bankers, everyone looking for a piece. Um, uh, not necessarily everything is bad, you know, I mean, um, but it's just every opportunity, every opportunist is looking for something. Um, but every situation we in encountered was never right you know and mm -hmm. we got handed the world you know mm -hmm. um but it went from you know it probably happens in record deals too all I the mean, time sure right? it does you know absolutely yeah umami burger like, you know you like that was a phenomenon look yeah. at pinkberry as we yeah. mentioned earlier you yeah. know um, all from the same era right um but everyone in your ear right mm -hmm. you know everyone in your ear you should be this you should be that you know, everyone comparing you to something else, every, everyone with money telling you that, you know, we can take you Vegas, New York, Chicago, this and that. Every, And, of course, we want to share this food with everyone. But we're, the innocence comes from that we're almost like little children. We just want to have a good time. Mm -hmm. And and and, um, and so, in many times, we listened and we would be taken down this road and then when you get to kind of the final stage, you just realize, luckily, we were strong enough and had the awareness enough to be like, whoa, something's wrong here, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, but I know in a lot of things, you know, music, life, modeling, all these things, people don't, are unable to see that at that last stage and then they get taken, yeah. you know? Um, but we were very lucky. And I, and I think that because of that because we had those moments where we were aware enough i i've kind of taken it as like um i don't know responsibility i guess is the right word mm -hmm. to protect kogi mm -hmm. you know i don't give a fuck anymore whether we don't become as big as people expect us to be because i know we mean something to a lot of people mm -hmm. you know so mm -hmm. um yeah but, it, but i think it is a fight and as, yeah. as the brand continues to grow you know you, you mentioned music so <clears throat> you know we see it a lot where this music comes out of a very pure place, yeah. right, of self-expression. Yeah. And it's a reflection of your surroundings, right, and your, yep. you know, what you're going through. And then, you know, then you have a hit record and you're on airplanes and, and backstage and you're, you know, in hotel suites. And mm -hmm. now all of a sudden your reality has changed. It's only natural that your expression is going to change. Yep. And that's what messes a lot of people up, right, is they get too far away from who they were. Mm -hmm. And and so that has to be a fight, and especially with, um, you know, four trucks, how many rest, you know, really Ko Kogi itself is really four trucks, an outpost at um, the airport, which yeah. is going to end soon. It was just a kind of a limited oh, really? contract, but the airport we have the alibi room and we have Chego. That's really it. That's that's all of Kogi. You know? Right. And um, and then, but then you have projects. I have other projects. That, yeah, right? I have creative projects. Uh, a frame, sunny spot, um, and then um, social justice projects uh, mm -hmm. like three worlds, and then local, and then we have the hotel in Koreatown, which yeah. is kind of like my biggest, you know, uh, project for LA. Yeah.
So do you compartmentalize those things? Obviously, they're different brands, but to some extent, they're all you. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're all they're all connected through me. Um, uh, to me, I, I I don't compartmentalize. Um, they're more. It's more like family. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm like Octomom. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I it, they're they're just all like my family, yeah. and so um, I, I just do whatever I can to be there and to provide and um, to to be around it and to lead it if I need to lead it or to enjoy it and and watch them shine when I need to. Um, yeah, it's just everything that I am, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, I don't even know when one begins or the other ends, right. you know, so. Yeah. So, and within that, how do you find ways to tap back into that, that feeling of the first night out here? Um, I think I've done a good job. Uh, I, I, uh, I live a very real life, mm. you know, um, you know, I, I've made choices like a lot of these restaurants and stuff I don't own. I just creatively right. kind of um, uh, consult on them and mm-hmm. and I'm a part of them. So I'm not as rich, I guess, as I should be or could have been, you know. But that com- you know, that would have came at a price too. It comes at yeah. more responsibility, headaches, you know, um, dealing with things and also, again, dealing, you know, spreading yourself too thin, dealing with investors, all that stuff. I've, I've, I've been happy with just... Um, you know controlling my own life and so uh i don't think to be honest my life has changed that much since oh wait mm. you know um uh it's uh i'm still i mean look what i'm doing in watts with local you know i'm still looking for like you know where is it that i need to feed people you know um it's still the same drive and mentality that i had driving the first kogi truck mm-hmm. like just looking for hungry people Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, seven years later, you know, I'm still doing the same thing. You know, I'm still driving in my car down to South Central looking at where I can feed people. Going across the county line, going across the country, looking at what can I do to make food more affordable, make food more accessible, and more relatable to, to people. Mm-hmm. You know, so I feel like my drive is the same. Um, but, you know, like I, I do wonder, like, what if I did make a few? I was like. On Instagram last night, I was looking at Wiz Khalifa's photographer's Instagram. I don't know how I got it. <laughs> man, the fucking life. Yeah. What a fucking For life, sure. you know? Jesus. Yeah. And so then I think about that, and I'm like, shit. Like, you know, if I just, you know, lean to the left a little bit, you know, it, would that, you know, and but then I'm like, nah, you know, I'm happy. Yeah. You know, I'm really, really happy. I have no boss. I have no one to answer to. Um everything I do comes from a pure place of, you know, trying to take care of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And whether that brings money or not, or fame or not, it doesn't matter to me because, um, because I'm, I'm, I have freedom, you know what I mean? And so uh, I don't take that lightly. Yeah. Well, let's talk about local Uh a little bit. I know, um, so, uh, you know, one of the things that interests me about it, so it's a fast food concept, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Fast food, but, Everything from scratch, mm-hmm. done by chefs. Mm-hmm. And the first restaurants in Watts? Watts, 103rd said. between Anzac and Grape Street in the Jordan Downs housing projects, yeah, okay. right in the middle. Okay. And uh, so, I mean, I think there's so much interesting about that from, you know, where you're starting to, to what you're trying to do. Um, but one of the things that stands out is, so your partner is Daniel Patterson. Yeah. Right. And uh, who comes 
you know, from fine dining world, mm-hmm. you know, he's got one of the, one of the sort of finest restaurants in San Francisco. They call him probably the most cerebral chef yeah. in the world. Yeah. He's, he's the, he, yeah, he's, he's the tip of the arrow mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. You know? So that feels like a interesting partner for you. It does on the surface, right? It th- and that's part of, I think, the allure of it, maybe in many ways, mm-hmm. is we look like the odd couple. Mm-hmm. You know, we look like, uh, you know, uh, again, the cerebral guy and, the, and, and you know, the, th- the, the gangster, the, the, the hip-hop dude, you know. We look like this thing, but we're actually not that different, you know. Um, you know, Daniel, um, he is... He, you know, he's a self-trained guy, came up from the ground up, uh, grew up, uh, comes from blue collar, uh, Massachusetts, Boston area, you know, um, uh, you know, really defiant. He, he, he's, he's also a revolutionary himself in many ways, whereas my revolutions are a little more kind of, I guess, uh, visible, you know, the Kogi truck hit it, like throwing a rock through a window, but his are a little more subtle, but they're just as powerful. He changed what fine dining can be. So what you see in fine dining right now, where people are using handmade pottery, um, you can dress how you want, Mm -hmm. uh, foraging, um, using local ingredients, uh, you know, defining a a terroir and like a a, a kind of a a voice of California in a certain area um, and an expression, that's all Daniel. You know, um, uh, he... You know, but all with technique and 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 like really refined, uh, you know, applications. That's all Daniel. Everything that whole kind of like natural aesthetic look, mm-hmm. that 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 warm feeling you get that you see in a lot of pages and a lot of chefs. Now, you know, it's really like the world is copying kind of three chefs: is Ferran, Renee, and Daniel. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and so. He wrote a piece back in 2005 where he he kind of basically told the Bay Area that they were just kind of um, you know like they weren't they weren't pushing themselves. They were just like everyone was trying to be a, a copycat to uh, Chez Panisse mm-hmm. and, and just and um, you know he he really redefined fine dining. He really challenged his whole city um, and by putting Qua on Broadway where it's all strip strip clubs. And he really defined what it means to to look at what food means in this context of fine dining, and a lot of people don't really give him credit for that, or you know, um, like being hip hop roots with with, and especially what Adam was talking about. For me, it's food. You know, like I'm not a sneakerhead or anything like that. But with food, if you want to talk to me about food, I'm like the sneakerhead of sneakerheads of food. You know, mm-hmm. and like, um, you know, like. Daniel, he really changed the whole Bay Area Area and how chefs cook. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't remember that stuff. But Mm -hmm. us that really know, we we know. know, And so because of that, he's really a revolutionary. But his expression was different. So if you peel away the layers, we're actually very similar. And that's why we connected so well. Mm -hmm. Because we don't really give a fuck, you know, (laughs) to be honest. We don't give a fuck about the, the... the structure or the system or the the entities or anything in our way mm-hmm. you know it's like if we have a vision we're gonna we're gonna burst through it and so our vision together with local now you can't stop us and th- i feel like together 
I always say that we fill in each other's blind spots because both of us individually are really, really strong people. Um, and we both kind of, you know, I don't know, changed our cities respectively. But together, I, I feel like we're unstoppable. Mm -hmm. you know, so. Well, <clears throat> it's interesting you talk about, um, you know, I feel like L.A. is, is a, always been the home of change. And, you know, you know, in music and we, t you know, <clears throat> especially when we talk about hip hop, right, that, you know, New York was kind of doing one thing. Mm -hmm. And then L.A. brought a, you know, completely different perspective to that and really shaped the music for the, the whole country. Um, I would say so. I think uh, maybe Tribe and L.A. <laughs> together, right? Like Tribe. I think Tribe changed hip hop. Sure. Yeah. But then mostly L.A. I think changed hip hop. But then I think the Chronic changed hip hop more, Absolutely. more yeah. than right. Straight Outta Compton. I mean, and Straight yeah. Outta, like, the Chronic was a new sound yeah. that yeah. no one had really, like, right. heard. And the DJ culture, and then you know, yep. um, we had the first radio station, mm -hmm. first radio stations. Like well, a, and it's like you know, and I freestyle heard freestyle fellowship, all that stuff. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Far side, um, and I heard something on you know, related to food in the same way that, you know, LA always gets overlooked as in the, in the list of great food cities. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, LA's led the way with, uh, you know, with sushi, with California cuisine, with, um, you know, now what you've done, mm -hmm. not only with food trucks, but introducing Korean food to America. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's Pop probably, ups. yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think in many ways it's like we're a place that's not afraid to take chances the way that some of the more traditional food cities are kind of locked into their thing. Some of the way that, you know, New York, if you remember back to that time, was like there was a feeling that things were getting stale because everyone was just trying to sort of outdo each other mm -hmm. at doing the same thing. And, and I think L.A. Um, hasn't been bound by that. I would agree. You know, and, you know, every city has their own. Mer I mean, New York is definitely, you know, an epicenter of culture. Mm -hmm. But what L.A. has, I think, whether it's food or fashion or music, is, is that freedom, is that freedom to explore and to not get caught in many ways, you know, or not get like and you don't have to like instantly like boast about it or be on the scene about it. Like you could kind of like develop your sound and your style or your food you know like for example with food trucks like like i could be on a railroad track in, in santa fe springs or la mirada and no one will ever know except the people that know you know and you right. know we won't get caught and mm -hmm. that freedom allows you in la i think for me is like a, a microcosm of how you know we just can kind of find our way and we have the freedom to express that and that, mm -hmm. that that reflects in a lot of things and that shapes the music and shapes the food right <laughs> um and it and you know it's it struck me as like this is where people are just they just have to like express whatever they're going through at that mm -hmm. moment and kind of and and that it doesn't matter what other people think mm -hmm. about that yeah and I, you know I've, I've i've always thought about that you know between new york and la it's just you know because as Adam mentions, we have cars. Mm -hmm. So it's like a lot of our life is shaped by that privacy in many ways, that freedom yeah. of like, 
you know, we spend so many wonderful moments just together in a car, you know, eat, whether it's eating a burrito, putting your feet on the dashboard, listening to music, you know, smoking a J or whatever it is and just sitting in a park, sorry, sitting in a parking lot. Um, but in New York, you're, you're walking. And so mm-hmm. it's like you, you, everything about you is you. So you got to kind of like. So how does that affect uh, your business, Adam? And, and you think about, you know, fashion comes out of New York typically, but streetwear, you know, is definitely as much of a of a L.A. thing. Yeah, I mean, I think the skate thing, mm-hmm. like, definitely L.A. had a big part to do with that and the merging of those worlds. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, mean uh, I guess if you look back, you know, at when I started noticing clothing, which was in hip-hop, mm-hmm. and a lot of the clothes that rappers were wearing back then was stuff they put together and it was mixing and matching and and like taking stuff from from you know you got your gold chain but then you had a feel a jumpsuit and then you had some nikes on and it was you know you know levi's it it was a mix of stuff that didn't always go together Mm -hmm. and i think that's what makes they they were doing the same thing with music Mm -hmm. you know how they were sampling you know this record and putting it together with this record and you might you if you just played them at the same time that you wouldn't think anything of it right. but it's it's how you put it together and that's something that's like always excited me like from the beginning mm-hmm. it's putting stuff together that doesn't belong which in a way is what always you know when i first tried roy's food it was like oh korean taco mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense right. but when you try it you're like oh my god this totally works mm-hmm. um just every that's how that's what excites me with pretty much anything creatively. Two worlds that don't belong together that work. Yeah. So have you had mentors that have guided you along the way? You know, I've, I've bounced around so much in life that um, I've never really had, like, each stage of my life I've had different mentors. But uh, I haven't had someone that's kind of traveled through. But recently, to be honest, um John Favreau mm-hmm. has been kind of a mentor to me. Like, uh, so you you were involved with with the, the movie, movie Chef, Chef right? Yeah. yeah, and that started very innocently. You know, it was just I was hired on as a as a consultant. Mm-hmm. You know, just to kind of you know unload some of the tricks of the trade and and the ideas and stuff. But uh, as soon as we met, we just instantly kind of uh, connected, and um, and we became in many ways inseparable. You know. F- uh, throughout the process of the movie, we, we became we kind of mind melded in many ways. And can he cook? Yes, yeah. of course. Um, nice. he, he, whatever John Favreau puts his mind to, or decides, he's he can DJ too. You know, Is that because right? he got to know AM during um, uh, Iron Man Two. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, he can draw. He can, he can create. You know, he, he you know he he began to understand the whole you know I, I don't know what you call it I guess this, the the sci-fi you know CGI world starting with Zathura and then mm-hmm. going through um, oh wow uh, into Iron Man and whatever he decides to put his mind to he can he can pick up faster than I've seen anyone in life pick up like I, it's literally when I when he started cooking to the point where he could cook I, it, it's almost like I could see him transition right before my eyes mm. it was amazing but yeah i would i would say he's a mentor because so what, uh, what you, in many ways i'm a mentor to a lot of people but yeah. whenever i'm with john 
It's like I learned something from him. Um, what about <coughs> sacrifices? <coughs> what do you guys, what have you sacrificed to get to where you are? Uh, I've sacrificed a lot of family time. When I was a chef, you know, um, used to, even at the beginning of COVID, I don't, I still work long hours, but I used to work longer hours. Sure. Like I used to work, I used to work 15 hours a day, six and a half days a week, you know, so I definitely sacrificed a lot of time with, uh, with my family, with, with moments that I could have shared. Um, I think I've sacrificed, to be honest, um, opportunities, I guess, to go from G6 to Bentley to, mm-hmm. to Penthouse, you know, to preserve a culture, mm-hmm. I guess, you know. And I'm not saying that a culture can't become, you know, uh, prosperous. I'm just saying that I, I have sacrificed opportunities because it just didn't feel right, you know what I mean? Um, that could have paid a lot, that could have brought me to a different level. Um, and I don't regret any of those, but I definitely sacrifice those, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I stand here now a stronger person because I did, because to me, Kogi, again, as we talked about like hip hop, I will never go away. You know, the, I, I feel like the, the, the sacrifices we made with Kogi and where we are now, Kogi will never go away. It will never, you mm-hmm. know, it will continue to live on and it will be something that, um, will always stand for something, you know, and so, so I believe in that. So you say you, you mentor a lot of people along mm-hmm. the way. Um, how do you teach people that? Uh, I, I, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, actions. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in generosity and um, maybe not always being the, uh, making the most popular decision or, or, or as far as like, um, you know, the most lucrative decision, but uh, believing in, again, you know, the generosity and love, you know, I guess what it is, is like, I don't, I don't, I'm not always the coolest person, right? Like, I, I don't like, I don't make the funnest decisions all the time, or I don't like sell our soul out or culture out and like let everyone like party and have a good time and all that stuff. Um, I, you know, and like, I, I always like try to take care of people and like, I don't know, to be honest, spread love, but that's not always sexy. You know, like that's not always like, it's not something like people like give you high fives for instantly. But, um, sure. but by staying true to that, I guess my consistency is what, what I guess brings people around back to me as far mm-hmm. as like being a mentor is, you know, I allow them to go through whatever they need to go through, but, um, I stay consistent. Um, with what I what I represent, what I preach, and I think ultimately, um, you know, when they when they feel that and they see it, they come back around, and um, they believe in that and they admire it. So, mm-hmm. and that's from cooks to chefs to you know other uh, you know creatives, um, people, entrepreneurs, you know, um, young cats coming up that are that are really hot, you know, and they're making all these kind of quick decisions to to blow up and then um and then they come back to me and they say man chef like i fucked up you know like like i should i should have listened you know Mm -hmm. like you know um and and so i don't know i I, i'm a little bit of a of a turtle you know as far as my decisions but like and sometimes that frustrates especially some of the younger cats around me you know but 
but again, um, by staying a turtle, you know, I'm always there for them. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I know you guys are working on some projects together. Yeah, yeah. That... we have a lot of hidden relationships <laughs> together. Um, okay, for anything sure. we can talk uh, about? No, no, no. Yeah, we he helped me on the street food yeah. for CNN. Uh, yeah. He was our kind of our inside consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, we what else we do? Uh, exactly. I, I just did a pop up for uh, Munchery. It's like an on demand uh, uh, food app. Uh-huh. Uh, Adam was helped me with a lot of the creative stuff. Adam and Natasha. Natasha is another part of our team. Yeah. Um, and uh, what else? Like done various there? various things. Things here know. and there. Yeah, we're, a lot of the stuff we do may not manifest itself in physical form, but we're yeah. constantly kind of like, you know, bouncing. throwing ideas, bouncing ideas off each other. Um, um, you know, sometimes it's hard. You know, we have a lot of ideas for like video stuff together, and uh, but you know, it's hard sometimes getting it to a studio. You know, sure. all the way. Um, that's such a tough process, man. You know, like f- it's it's even tougher as a chef because for us. Our world between A and Z is very short. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, like if I have an idea for something as a cook or a chef, and I say, or if you came to me with the idea, and if I like it, I don't have to ask anybody. Right. I just say, all right, let's do it. You know. Yeah. We'll, we'll cook it and we'll, we'll put it in my restaurant. Throw it on the grill. Let's do a pop up. Yeah. Right. Let's do a pop up. Throw it on the grill. We'll make it happen. Yeah. We'll, we'll Twitter and a thousand people will show up. It'll be great. And then from that, we'll make a book. It doesn't matter. You know, we'll mm-hmm. do it. But, like, I've never, you know, the whole pitching process of, like, it's just, like, it's, it boggles my mind, you know, of, like, you're so close to something, but yet so far. You know? Well, because that's a very yeah. obvious, you know, route, right, is yeah. to go from the kitchen to, mm-hmm. to on camera. Yeah. Right? And, you know, a lot of great chefs before you have done that. For me, again, uh, we talk about it, like, we have a little kind of hangout club bunch of artists together mm-hmm. and we cry in our own milk of like, <laughs> of like we care about the art too much yeah. you know like you know and these are fucking some heads you know like art director Stussy you, mm-hmm. know, you know like big heads like real heads you would know like like leading the culture of the, of this industry and like mm-hmm. it, you know we're just like fuck everyone we, keeps it too real we keep it too fucking <laughs> real you know and and um so like with the screen stuff it's like yeah I could have a show on any channel but it's like I had to do like street food and win a and do you know we win a Webby but it's like I don't get any like help from it you know but are you I'm, still doing that show? but I'm proud of it no you know like they haven't asked for a season two yet so Kay. if they're listening to this you know where you at <laughs> yo street food is dope if you haven't seen yeah. it yeah you have to find it it's like a yeah but you have to find yeah. it you know right. again that's it's a, like the just, truck yeah it's just like it's hidden on the way you're just gonna be that dude like, i'm just you, gonna be that dude i guess you but know? what that does right is it makes people want to once yeah. they find you they mm-hmm. want to hold on to you and follow yeah. you and i th- i you know a lot of the stuff that we sort of cook up i feel like at some point some something will yeah manifest in a way that yeah. that that feels right you know i think a lot of it's timing and Timing sure. and luck and talent. Well, uh, I know what we've done. He's done a lot of our shirts for mm. Kogi. So a lot okay. of the shirts. That, and again, that goes back to like, we keep it too fucking real. Like we never sold these shirts. Oh, really? You know, because in our mind, we're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we only made a hundred of these yeah. and like yeah. only our staff wore them. Right. Yeah. But every single person who comes to the Kogi truck looks at the shirt and says like, yeah, oh, they want to buy it. They want to yeah. buy it, but we won't sure. sell them. So that right. was like our mind. You should sell so, the LAX shirt. After you, close. Close. <laughs> After, we After you guys close, but he yeah he yeah. designed yeah. the first we did, we did Kogi the shirt. Cover he did the oh he did the book, some cover. Of the book cover. Okay, like we yeah sort of took it in. Adam did the uh, all the the graphic work, the fonts and everything yeah. on nice. the book. 
Uh, Jorge actually. Jorge did, did this, yeah. but, the, but our the our but Adam my, takes credit yeah, for it. My, yeah. no, I think his name's in the book. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, my company did the. Uh-huh. It's um, out there. It's good. Nice. We have a couple Twitter questions. Yeah. Okay. okay. So we've got Lala Scoop here. She wants to know. Where are the best K-Town eats that white people don't know about? Am I allowed to say that? I think you all know about everything now, man. <laughs> Fucking K-Town's been put on blast for, like, <laughs> the last year and a half. We got, like, um, even non-Koreans are writing books on K-Town now. It's crazy. Is that uh, right? Let me see. Um, I would say one spot you probably, I don't see a lot of non-Koreans at is uh, Olympic Chungukjang on um, Olympic and Hoover, just before Hoover, just west of Hoover. It's a, a stinky s- fermented soybean stew spot, and it just says Olympic restaurant on it. Um, I, I don't see many other people than Koreans at that spot. Um, also, uh, Chungju Bibimbap. I, I don't see many other people except Koreans at that spot, and that's on Olympic in New Hampshire. Mm. Um, so those are two spots. Okay, and current nice. favorite L.A. spots, not K-Town. I'm a big fan of John and Vinny's stuff. You know, like anything they do, they're my family. Um, so anything from Animal, Son of a Gun, John and Vinny's, Petit Trois, Trois Mec, their new place, Trois Families coming up, Familias coming up. Um, anything John and Vinny do, I'm a fan of. Um, so, yeah. Okay, another one, Twitter fan, Olivius Don. What's the one ingredient you can't live without? For me, um, uh, uh, rice, I would say. You know, rice, <laughs> me and tor- too. rice and tortillas. You know, like that. You know, rice I grew up with, and I can't live without it. And then tortillas changed my life. You know, so awesome. Okay, and then the last question from coffee to grapher: the feeling a truck food experience turned brick and motor is a complex one. What creative principles guided the transition? Mm. Um, so that, that, to understand that question is going from truck to brick and motor, brick and mortar, what made the transition? Um, it was natural. It was very natural. Um, never even thought about it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think it was more of the media and people like trying to put everything into a, a, a understandable box you know like oh you're a food truck you're you know you what is it like going from this to this well people don't realize i had a whole other life before mm-hmm. food trucks you know i was a chef i ran i ran restaurants and right. hotels for a living um and then going into a food truck i never looked at a food truck like differently from a kitchen standpoint you know from from like an ergonomic and logistic standpoint yes it was a smaller space we were mobile obviously that's different but from the cleanliness to the organization to the process, all that, it was a kitchen. Um, and then going to our f- my first place, which was opening up in Alibi Room. That was mm-hmm. actually the first place. Uh, it was more of like, we need more space, mm-hmm. you know? And so uh, it wasn't even like premeditated. It was like the owner reached out to us and said, hey, listen, man, I got a bar and I'm basically serving chicken tenders right now. And like, you know, I got no attachments. It's like, listen, just come in. You can take over my kitchen. You mm-hmm. know, no rent. You take all the food. You know, I'll take all the booze. Nice. Yeah, and that was it. That's it was cool. Like, you know, 
and then so from there it just became natural and then Dave and myself we built a relationship together where we opened A-Frame together and then I helped him on Sunny Spot but um, mm -hmm. you know uh, yeah so it was really easy for me nice alright one last question this mm -hmm. one's interesting um, Jimmy That Chef wants to know what is the most important lesson Mexican ingredients and cooks reveal to you and uh, what impact has that hot has that had on your cooking? <laughs> Mexican. I've been around Mexicans my whole life, man. You know, ever since I grew up from a kid, um, all throughout the restaurants we owned, um, all through throughout being a cook, I would say um, uh, I, I I think as far as food wise, I would say it's it, it's. I'm not going to even say anything food because it, it, there is no like one thing. I would say it's just like the acceptance and then the music and um, the jokes that uh, the Mexican culture shared with me my whole life um, is just uh, they've always like accepted me as, as, as part of their race for weird reason, you know, like I don't know if it's just the energy in my spirit, you know, but, uh, you know, just I don't know. It's the jokes. Being able to be able to be a part of the jokes from day one, from the get, you know, and um, and be able to like bag back and bag, you know, like just, you know. So for me, that sharing the culture has been number one for me. Nice. Yeah. All right. My last question mm -hmm. for both of you: uh, favorite DJ and or best DJ set you've ever seen. <laughs> uh. For me, I'm a huge dilated fan. You know, like I, I, you know, I have to give it up to Rock and and, and Ev, and so I, I have to say Babu. Mm -hmm. You know, um, early Babu and, and the DMCs and all the stuff he does for dilated, and you know, like I'm a huge I'm a huge beat junkies guy. So Babs, Retmatic. Mellow, everyone out there, D-Styles, you know. I'm from the group where friction needs to fly. Stack your bricks, the time is take your pick. Do it, don't. The track, alchemist. Yo, my life is good. I got my peeps in the mix, so. Words come to words, my peoples come first. I got worldwide family all over the earth. And I worry about them all for whatever is worth. From the birth to the hearse, through streets, the guns burst. Words I disperse are here to free minds. Yeah. And if mine are needy, I need to feed mine. Words come to what about live? Who's the best DJ you've ever seen live? Uh, I always like Cut Chemist. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he did. I, the one thing, the, uh, what was, who was it? It was, uh, I think Mulatu played. It was part of that Mochilla thing. Mm -hmm. And I think Quantic was there. And, and Cut Chemist DJed with one turntable and like a sampling pedal. It's cool. And it was, it was, and they had a camera like on his foot, so you could see him like, oh hitting, yeah, yeah, hitting the loop, and that was, you know, it it's always impressive like how like, it seems like he he plans his stuff out and practices and and does it because I remember, I think it was like him versus Madlib. They did those mm -hmm. like beat things mm -hmm. that like root down, and I remember like his was like a routine, and Madlib would just throw on the beat, um, mm -hmm. but I was I appreciate like his is his craft nice i can't remember live but um i, mean, I agree with all the stuff he just said uh but uh i i do still remember going back to cubert um i do remember like the first time 
I think was it when he scratched the whole song? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember that moment, the first time I saw it. Um, I know it was a long time ago, but to me that was just like I was I was blown away. Yeah, mm -hmm. nice. Well, thanks for being here. I appreciate mm -hmm. it. Uh, we know where to find you online, but yeah. uh, plug plug local. Oh, tell us where where should we look for you online? Uh, we plan on opening local on Christmas Day, two thousand fifteen. Um, Again, um, in Watts on 103rd. Uh, it's a big deal. It's a big fucking deal, man. Uh, the community uh, is really, really open to us. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that this is the beginning of a revolution where we start feeding people that this country has basically abandoned, you know, like feeding communities yeah. across this country from we start in Watts, we go to Oakland, we go to South Chicago, we go to Detroit, we go to Ferguson, we go to Baltimore, D.C., start feeding all the families and the homies, you know. And um, hmm. and that's welocal.com. Um, got What's Kogi Truck, Kogi BBQ, you know, Twitter handle, at Kogi BBQ. Uh, my, my handle is Riding Shotgun LA, all one word. Um bunch of different places you can find me i'm not central but uh i have a my band is pollen p-o-l-l-y-n google that we have instagram facebook and a website um my company is called champ and the website is a tribe called champ dot com champ was taken um and then on tribe called champ is better on, anyway. on on instagram it's uh adam 208 um if you want to find me and cool. see pictures of my kids nice and funny stuff i see when i travel um but yeah I i'm easy to find there it is thanks guys thank you thank you yeah that was roy Choi and adam weissman i hope you liked it those dudes are funny uh if you didn't like it i don't care but if you did tell everybody you've ever met and come back next week with more rebel radio goodness Bye.